Scott, how are you? What's up, Jake? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing well, man. You know, ever since I found out that you work for a radio station in part now, I it clicked in my head how nice of a radio voice you have, and I'm jealous of how nice your radio voice is. <laughs> I appreciate it. I've been doing radio and, and play-by-play stuff since middle school, so had a lot of practice. You're clearly a seasoned pro. I appreciate it. I try. <laughs> um, obviously, when we first reached out about bringing you on here, we were not expecting to have a Tyrese Halliburton knee injury kind of hanging over uh, the Pacers uh, interim. And also, you know, depending on the severity, I have no idea. I, I mean, I literally, if there's been an announcement and I missed it, let me know because I've been kind of head down working on all this stuff today. Um, but what was kind of your sense leaving? Um, I know you weren't at the Garden last night. What was kind of your sense leaving that game about where the team kind of felt uh, his, his knee was at? Yeah, so we have not received an update as of right now. Uh, I reached out to the Pacers to see if they will be sharing any kind of update today. Have not yet received a response with that. Um, I just know a lot of fans. I mean, that's the question I keep getting on, on Twitter and my side is, is there an update? Is there an update? And I'm sure by now, after tests this morning, that they have a very good indication of what it's looking like. Now, as for last night, what I saw originally did not look like much. I almost thought, was this an ankle injury? His shoe came off. It was just an awkward type of sequence. And I had to go back to the the replay and a different angle, in fact, to kind of get a good indication of what it maybe was. And it looked like his left knee kind of sharply jerked one way and then back at him. And then knowing his history, I know with that left knee, he had a hyperextension and bone bruise. So maybe it's something similar. Um, and, and, you know, it's something that he had his rookie year two years ago. Um, but no indication other than from last night, he walked out of the uh, arena, Madison Square Garden, on one crutch. And Rick Carlisle postgame was saying, you know, after something like this and walking out on a crutch, it probably is unlikely that he plays this weekend, but we'll see after he undergoes yeah. tests back in Indy. So let's operate under the hopeful assumption that we'll miss a couple games. He'll be back. We'll see if they're, if the all-star buzz turns into reality and he makes his way to Salt Lake City. And before that, the February 9th trade deadline um, will be an opportunity for this team to really look in the mirror. And as one front office person I talked to, determine if the Pacers are going to pace her. And by that, we, of course, mean try <laughs> to make postseason. Yeah. Um, and... The one thing I'll, I'll say to kind of push back on the because the the Pacers going to Pacer idea was definitely kind of said mockingly. Like this is not your typical Pacer situation where they're a plucky team with interesting. Like this to me has the feel more so of the early Paul George, you know, excitement. Like not like like before Paul George was going toe to toe with LeBron in the conference finals, but I mean, look, there was a sixteen entering last night's game with, with with the Knicks. Like Benedict Matherin is a stud. Miles Turner is playing the best ball of his career. Finally freed from the two tower situation that doesn't seem like anyone involved was super thrilled by last year. 
So all that being said, like, are you buying Scott this idea that it would even be wise for Indiana to look to buy a little bit here with the goal of, you know, this is not a team that I, I, I believe is going to be poking around Jay Crowder looking to probably find more of a long-term solution or maybe even sell in the short term while buying in the long term. Yeah, a lot there. Let's go back to the beginning with your kind of joke uh, about, you know, will they pace her again? I laughed because I knew exactly what it meant. But to their credit, it's it's one of those things where you really shouldn't knock it because how many franchises in the league, if you told them, you know, you'd reach the playoffs 28 of 34 years, would absolutely take that. I would say the majority, the exceptions the being those Kings elite would of very the much take that. Exactly. The difference here and what they're trying to get away from is what Kevin Pritchard, the team president, talks about being on the treadmill of mediocrity. Because it's great to always be relevant and in the playoff picture, 6th, 7th, 8th, but also, realistically, why are you doing this? You're doing it to try to win. And they have not been a contending team since 2014 with Paul George, which is interesting because you referenced the similarities. That's also the last time they advanced past the first round. So the team is due to be more than average. And that's at least at the beginning of the season, Jake, what they were working on. They brought all of us media in for an off-the-record conversation, just like, hey, it might be a tough season. Um, we're going to need you. You're going to need us. Just bear with <laughs> us. There is an in-game in, uh, in, in sight here. We just want you to understand that. And then it's interesting now here, fast forward, what, three and a half months, in the Pacers today are seventh in the Eastern Conference, neck and neck with the Knicks, would certainly be – a fringe team just inside or out uh, of that play-in tournament. However, they've had a lot of things, Jay, go their way. Uh, and up until now, injuries has been one of those things. So that changes a lot here. And as I see it, at least before uh, these short-term injuries that we know of, is I think the Pacers are very much content with not making too big of moves. You know, originally going into the season, I think all of us, we're surprised that Miles was still on the roster and somewhat expected if there was a good deal out there for Buddy Heald that the Pacers would probably pull the trigger on that. So much of it is dependent on what those other teams are offering. Right now, I see them as a team sitting back and having a lot of options at their disposal, whether it's just standing pat, whether it's taking on a bad deal, whether it's taking on an unhappy player. I think they're in a comfortable spot here with a lot of assets to, to decide on. They are. Someone with knowledge of the Pacers thinking, let's say, suggested to me last night that they're in a position of power, if you will, um, which I would agree with in terms of that they have optionality. There are a few teams in the league that have such flexibility to do so many different things, like you said, to take on either a contract or to re-sign Miles Turner with all that cap space or to do both. Um, being that they could, in theory, uh, send Buddy Heald's salary out in a deal if that was something that they needed to do or, and a team was willing to um, take back to bring in someone of a, of a, of a larger number, right? Um, and Daniel Tice comes back from injury soon. Like, they've got strong veteran play from TJ McConnell's on a very reasonable contract. Um, there, there's a lot of op, there's a lot of optionality. So I'm curious, is there a direction that you think they should be choosing here, or that you think is the most likely direction? I think they should do what they did a couple years ago 
when they kind of sat back and waited to pounce on a potential deal. And a lot of fans won't remember that they were part of this, but remember James Harden getting from Houston to Brooklyn? The Pacers yep. got in that deal, moved off of Victor Oladipo, which was a very was just essentially the same situation as they're in right now with Miles Turner, with the one caveat being Victor was out the door. We could already count on him signing elsewhere. Whereas yeah. what the Pacers have to realize is if they don't agree to an extension or renegotiation with Miles, say, before the trade deadline, do they have any kind of guarantee that he would, say, resign this summer? Those sort of things. With Vic, we knew he was gone. So that's the one difference here. But they were able to get in that deal, get Karis LeVert, which then the next year they sent off to Cleveland to jumpstart their moves last February, got a first-round pick, um, and, and took on Ricky Rubio's salary. I, I see them doing more deals like that, Jake, um, where they're just working – Working on the fringes and and putting some of the, the cap space and maybe roster flexibility to their advantage. I don't see them chasing a guy. And also, I don't see there being any toxicity or a, a guy on this roster that's like, we got to move him or he wants out. They just have to get some clarity on Miles, what it's going to take to re-sign him. Does he want to re-sign him? Or is he hell-bent on getting to free agency for the first time in his career? I don't think he is. I think he was. I think there certainly was a time where he was. Um, and, you know, by all accounts, they're in fluid conversations. I think there's, you know, it's hard to kind of really understand what's going and what's being said back and forth when you're not in the room. But from everything I've heard, it sounds like there's just going to be fluid dialogue on ranges and whatever, and then how you how the mechanics that can get there, you know, that'll come later. But they'll have until March first. And honestly, for a savvy front office to lock him up under any circumstance before the deadline, that, that would seem less than wise. You, you you would kind of sacrifice all this optionality and flexibility that we're talking about by using up all your cap space to, to re-sign Miles right now. Um you know, maybe they get to February 7th and they kind of canvass the board and realize there's nothing that they want to do, you know, just like how they got a day or two before the deadline and realized that they were, didn't, didn't matter what was coming. They were just trading DeMontis Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton. Maybe there's a similar conclusion that no matter what comes in the coming hours, we're going forward with this Miles Turner extension. Maybe, maybe that happens. Um, but they've got time, and I think, you know, from everything I've heard from multiple people I've talked to with the team, like it definitely seems like the Pacers are looking at any opportunity to add a young forward that could really grow alongside this group. John Collins is a name I've heard time and again. Um, you know, they were, I, I don't know how serious they, their pursuit of Miles Bridges was going to be in free agency, but they were absolutely a team that, other teams and Miles Bridges of representatives were preparing to potentially throw him a big offer. She, just like they did for DeAndre in before Miles's uh, domestic incidents came to light. Um, so that's just another data point to keep in mind. But I, I don't think there's also like a laundry list of guys that are available. Like OJ Ananubi would be tremendous, right? Indiana product former Hoosier, when things were going right with Oladipo, 
know, wasn't exactly a, I don't think there were many fan bases and players that were kind of more in tune with each other when things were going well. Right. Um, so could that be a, a match made in heaven? Who knows? But the rappers are going to have a super high asking price. So I, I don't know how many guys that would satisfy the Pacers, you know, wishes to actually expend all that capital are actually going to be available. Is there anyone that you've got your eye on that I haven't mentioned so far? Yeah, a couple things. First with Miles, I would say it's it has certainly felt and trended more like him be willing to come back and, and not just willing, but looking forward. There's been countless times this season, Jake, where he said, you know, we're this is the start of something special. We're building something special here. I also talked to him a couple weeks ago. Aaron Neesmith was saying he, this is the most fun that he's had in several years, and that struck me differently because he was just in the finals last year with the Celtics, did not really have a role. But this is the most fun basketball. And so I posed that question to Miles, and he said the same thing. Like, he's been reinvigorated. He feels appreciated. He's being used how he likes as the natural five. And so that may be a reason why he isn't necessarily, you know, focused on getting to the summer as much as perhaps he could have been um, earlier. You're absolutely right about Miles Bridges. They were prepared to, to see what it took and have conversations with him this summer. And then that whole incident happened. John Collins, I will tell you this. I've always struck John Collins off my list purely because he was red flagged by the organization for non-basketball reasons at the draft. Now, what I don't know is can a player come back from that? Because that was five years ago, right? That was like 2017. Can a player come back from that hard red flag or are they kind of on that list? And so that's the first thing I consider with John Collins. Do you know what the reasons were? Because that's the first I've heard of that. No, not I do not know that specifically. But that's yeah. it's something that Pacer fans were frustrated with, especially the first couple of years after the draft, because one pick earlier, the Pacers drafted TJ Leaf at eighteen, who's not in the draft or excuse me, not in the league anymore. I think he's in China last time I looked, but Pacers could have had John Collins in that draft. Um, but it was told to me from someone who would know that they weren't even considering him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the cooler in the comments is mentioning teams with a surplus of power for the Knicks, Obi Toppin. He's definitely a name that has been discussed in recent trade cycles, particularly in the Diamond Mitchell sweepstakes back this summer. Jared Vanderbilt, I mentioned him in my article today at Yahoo, would, would think that one of the Pacers, uh, extra first-round picks, if that is the price that Utah's holding out for for Jared Vanderbilt, if they're willing to take the 30th pick in the draft that is scheduled to come to the Pacers the way of Boston for Jared Vanderbilt, I could see that being a, uh, an interesting um, ad for the Pacers. Wendell Carter and Franz Wagner, I think those are unlikely scenarios where Orlando's building their own thing down there, and I don't think there's any interest from the Magic in parting ways with Wagner right now. And There's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of optimism about Wendell Carter as well. Um, is there anything else aside from the power forward market, Scott, that you're thinking that uh, Indiana could benefit from exploring? I've heard that they're going to take a look at. Yeah, I think what's really been absent from this team is that three position too, really since Paul George. 
So I think that's a position more likely you could potentially pick up in the draft like you hit on. They have three first-round picks in this upcoming draft. Maybe use one of those, or perhaps you package those together or package one and a current player to try to go get the guy you want because they really need that true, you know, lengthy wing. Your, your stereotypical Raptor player, to be quite honest, right? The, the six, seven lengthy guy that can defend players like Jason Tatum, LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi, PG. Um, right now this season, what's been wild, Jake, is that they've mostly been sending their second round, first, first pick of the second round, Andrew Nimhart. And he's, in his first year, and he's been tackling the biggest opponent. Last night, it was Jalen Brunson in New York, and he struggled a little bit with that. But if, if they want to take a next level, I think that's probably uh, an area they should really look to upgrade. Um, but I could see that more likely coming through the draft in their plethora of picks. Let's ask about Chris Duarte. Um, okay. Because someone I spoke to who knows the organization very well told me they – they spoke to one of the top decision makers of the Pacers at the G League showcase where I saw you last. Um, and that Pacers official said, you know, we're keeping, we're keeping Chris Duarte. Now, last couple of weeks, I've, I've definitely heard from various teams that the Pacers have been willing to discuss him. So, you know, he's, he's kind of fallen a bit behind in terms of where Tyrese Halliburton and Ben McMathern stand in the rotation. And I think there's general excitement about their features there. Um, what's kind of your sense of where his role currently lands and where you think he factors into Indiana's present and future planning? Yeah, so the trouble with Chris was he suffered a left ankle injury. Kyle Lowry kind of rolled up on him, and that's kind of derailed his season to this point. The game before that, he went off for a career-high 30 points, but he, he missed 21 games, Jake, and hadn't really been the same player since and kind of feels like the odd guy out just in terms of for one, he, the, the team kind of established that magic that they have right now without him, uh, with, with Matherin and Nimhard and, and McConnell especially, uh, with that unit. And so I think Duarte is just kind of trying to figure out where he fits. And on top of that, maybe adding to that pressure and, and feeling the pressure, shots just haven't gone down. I think going into last night's game, he had missed 26 of 28 shots. And, you know, he's obviously brought in to be a sharpshooter, to be a – 40% three-point shooter. And if he could, you know, I could realistically see him, you know, in that starting lineup, uh, you know, if, if, and you could move Nimhard if he wasn't so dependent on their defense leading that second unit, for example. So I, right now I view him as kind of a guy that's just trying to work his way back and find his game rhythm. Um, but I could see, you know, he's, he's always had that knock of his age, right? How he's 25 and most of this Pacers roster is 21, 22. Um, but they're, Rick Carlisle loves shooting all season long. They've been top ten, a top three team, excuse me, in three point attempts, and so there's a real value for him, a real value for Buddy Heald. But I could see, I, I don't think they're stuck on him by any means. That if an offer came their way, that that they would consider it, just because they somewhat right now have that log jam at the backcourt of twos and threes. What is your sense on? I mean, a lot of people say Rick Carlisle's got a big bit of influence on decision-making there. Do you think he'll be able to kind of like pick players that he would like the team to go after, or, or do you view this as more of like a collaborative effort? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a lot of collaborative uh, effort. But I will say, Rick's easily had the most influence as a head coach of the five head coaches with the Pacers that I've covered. I mean, I, I always go back to like Nate McMillan here, and you'd ask him about you know free agency, and he goes, "Hey, you know what? I'm the coach. That there's a clear distinction. Front office coaching, that's Kevin in the front office time. You know, whereas." With Rick, I mean, he's calling agents. He's talking with players. He's very much a hands-on guy, and you would expect more of that, um, too, than some of the younger coaches. You know, who doesn't Rick know? And, by the way, he's the president of the Coaches Association, too. Yeah. Um, but I will also say, Rick, absolutely, if, he, if there's a guy he wants, especially maybe a more of a fringe guy, but you look at the makeup of this Pacers roster. They look to add that veteran influence. They added James Johnson because of Rick's relationship with James down in Dallas. Uh, they they traded for Justin Anderson last year, who's been mostly a G League guy, a Virginia guy, um, but they added him because of, uh, because of Rick. So Rick was huge on Benedict Matherin. I think the whole front office was, but especially Rick. That's another reason they have it. So I, I would definitely say he has influence, but it's also a collaborative effort with that front office. Here's a fun, here's a fun question for you. Um, and when, when you're trying to figure out the draft order, in the days before, um, and there, and teams and agents, you know, identify kind of swing spots on the board. So, last year's draft, for example, no one obviously knew that Paolo Banchero was going number one, but everyone was pretty much in a consensus agreement that, in some order, it would be Dalen Smith, Paolo Banchero, and Chet Holmgren. Um, and then the draft kind of quote unquote started at number four. Mm-hmm. People, certain people would have taken Jaden Ivey there. Certain people would take Keegan Murray there. But the fact that the Kings had Keegan Murray, um, or the Kings had the fourth pick, Keegan Murray was a selection. But for a while, I mean, a lot of front offices and plenty of agents too. But a lot of front offices try to plan for the draft by making these kind of choose your own adventure, alternate timeline scenarios, depending on choices that happen. So Jaden Ivey had gone fourth. Um, you know, would Keegan Murray have gone fifth? Would Benedict Matherin have gone fifth? I'm curious, in in a hypothetical world where both Keegan Murray and Benedict Matherin were on the board at number six for Indiana, who do you think they would have chosen? That, that's a question that I would love to ask top, top Pacers decision right. makers if they had true serum injected into them because they obviously love Matherin and they're super happy, of course, with the return so far. But this power forward position has clearly been one they've looked at for a long time, and Keegan could have, in theory, been a long-term option there. Yeah. I mean, those three are very intriguing right there. And I would also add, I think after those three, there was also the next turn, you know, at seven. Um, Where does it go from there? Is it Dyson Daniels? Shaden Sharp, the big question mark. And I thought he would would have been intriguing as well for the Pacers, by the way. But I I believe – uh, it still would have been Matherin. They were that high on him. Um, he 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 has that ferocious. Um, I don't I don't know. Not an arrogance, but the confidence that this team had entirely lacked last year. Jake. I mean, the fact that Lance Stevenson comes back for his third stint, and he's the guy that plays with like it's overused, but the most dog in him, the most fight. Um, and in this year. The team's playing with, to use one of Rick's words, force and more toughness. They needed a guy like that. So I, and his other his appetite for not only three-point shooters, but Matherin's ability to get to the basket and score, I, I believe it was Matherin, though, though I don't know for certain. 
Yeah, there's no way to know. I mean, they probably wouldn't know. They didn't have to make that decision. But those are the fun what ifs that you always look at. Um, but what, by the way, let me throw out, let me throw out another quick one. Is because, yeah. how about Jay Nivey? Only because the relevancy here too. By the way, he played at Purdue. His mom played for the Indiana Fever here. Kelly Kroskoff was the one that made that decision, and she's an assistant GM for the Pacers. It takes me back to 2010 when the Utah Jazz picked Gordon Hayward at nine, who went to Butler, is from the area, therefore removing that decision from the Pacers, who selected Paul George. So uh, it it brought back that memory to me when I was wondering, hey, would Ivy be on the board, and is this a a second go-around of Pacers getting a local kid who clearly could help in a variety of ways? Yeah, and and that, that connection for Hayward has always kind of loomed out there, right? I mean, it seems like if maybe there was a little bit of a different give and take between the Pacers and the Celtics and trade talks, maybe Hayward gets signed and traded to Indiana. Of course, that's been litigated a bunch um, mm-hmm. instead of going to Charlotte. Um, but I think the thing there was back- Danny. Ainge- Sorry to interrupt. The one thing I will, I know there is Danny Ainge was calling his bluff. He didn't believe Gordon would leave Celtics would leave Brad Stevens. So yeah. uh, as I understood it, he really didn't take that threat seriously. Then Gordon gave his promise to MJ, and at that point, you know Gordon's a man of his word, and so Ainge had to figure out a way to to get some kind of pick. So he sent two second round picks, I think, to get that trade exception. Um, but that's yeah. how it played out. There was some talk, if you will, that maybe Boston wasn't super high on Miles Turner either, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, no, that's absolutely right. But I didn't understand that because at worst you could repurpose him and probably at minimum get another first round pick for him is what yeah. I thought. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, Gordon would be someone that I, I could see people kind of drawing a line to Indiana now. But again, like I think if we see this Pacers team go and grab players here, go make a move to get somebody, I think it's going to be someone that more fits the timeline of Tyrese Halliburton than Miles Turner. Not to say Miles Turner is old and doesn't fit the timeline because he's certainly young enough to be a connected piece there. Um, to kind of be the David West to their Paul George, if you will. Um, mm-hmm. But, I, I, yeah, I mean, I again, like it's going to be interesting to see. Yeah, Jimbo Buckets in the comments is saying OG would be perfect for that. I agree. Um, I, I think that's that's a player. It's just that, what does that cost, though, right? Two first-round picks and a rotational player? Probably more. I mean, the way people are talking – about what it's going to take to pry OG Ananobi from the Raptors. Um, we're, t- we're talking, uh, you know, DeJounte Murray prices at a minimum, you know, three unprotected picks. And I, I don't know, you know, I don't know how much value three picks in this one draft would really do, right? I think we're, that'll be talking future picks. Um, I don't think people are going to be so thrilled about the 25th pick and the 30th pick, you know, for a player like that magnitude. Um, so that'll be, that'll be tricky. There's not such a straight line to draw there. Right. Yeah, no, completely agree. I, I just don't know. For one, we're all wondering what Toronto will ultimately do. Several other teams, right? Chicago, will Miami do anything? But if Toronto did make a guy like OG available, yeah, he, there, there may be fewer, more guys that fit exactly what the Pacers need right now. Um, 
last player I'm curious to ask you about is Isaiah Jackson because in, in that conversation about the four spot, I mean, he was someone a lot of people were excited about a year or two ago. Um, so he, he isn't exact. I mean, uh, Jalen Smith and Aaron Nesmith have really handled the bulk of that starting opportunity throughout this season. He, he seems to be kind of falling behind those two guys. Where do you see uh, his development and, and where he's currently factoring into the bigger Pacers picture at large here? Yeah, I will say the, the one negative of the Pacers having this early success and just about already at the win total that Vegas had for all of last season um, is that I think there has been a little bit of sacrifice in development. For example, you haven't seen Isaiah Jackson get the 20 minutes per game, um, Jalen Smith the 20 minutes per game, Duarte, same thing. And so it's still early, just year two for Jackson and Dorte, but those two have taken much smaller roles than I think all of us anticipated. And because the Pacers have now started smaller with Neesmith at the four, that's moved Jalen Smith to the back of five and essentially pushed Isaiah Jackson out of the rotation um, before these recent injuries here this last game, which isn't exactly what you want for uh, a second-year guy who just turned 21. And, and what he adds, Jake, is just such a different dimension in that he's a lob threat. He runs the court so well. He's not a three-point threat at all. And that's probably the biggest uh, knock on him. He, doesn't, he hadn't been looking for his three-point shot, and he's not that prototypical big that shooting side. Um, but he, he's a guy right now is trying very much like Dorte to, to earn back a permanent role and find ways where he can compete. He was so far out of the rotation that, and I think this was smart of him, I give him credit, was he went to the G League and played a couple games with the Mad Ants, where, of course, it had like 24 and 12, um, but was able to get some confidence in some of that game action. But right now the Pacers have so many bigs and so many guards that I, I think it, they could at the trade deadline, but more so this summer need to clar- clarify and get some clarity on that situation and ideally like add – on the wing or they a true um last question here for me from and it's a comment look at me more likely to be on the team in two years Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson uh, I would say I would probably say Jalen Smith is my first reaction. Yeah, it absolutely is because uh, there's there's cap considerations. In two years, um, both will be free agents here. Isaiah will be coming off his his rookie deal as well. Uh, but Jay, the pay, actually, let me go back. I'm going to say Isaiah because Pacers could they would have his bird rights and they they could still have his control. Whereas Jalen uh, could opt out of his contract, I, I believe. After what is it? He has one more year. Yeah, so his deal will be up, and then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Therefore, he would have more suitors, and I think there would be more demand because of the style in which he plays. He likes that outside shot. Um, yeah. So I think it would be easier for the Pacers to retain Isaiah. KJ Martin coming up in the comments here. Uh, interesting option. Uh, someone who has requested a trade in the past from Houston, but is definitely, from my understanding, open to remaining with the Rockets. Um I, I, I would think he, I mean, he definitely is a forward by no stretch of the imagination, but I would think Indiana would look for more of um, a true four um, than, I mean, KJ does 
largely play the four, but I think he's more of a swingman type um, than what the Pacers seem to be looking for. Um, Scott, you've been awesome as always. It's only fair at the end. If you want to throw a question my way, if you want to plug anything, the floor is yours, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, I, I will toss one thing back at you for sure, because I know Pacer fans are curious from the national outlook. Um, obviously, talk about All-Stars fan vote. I mean, it's a popular vote. Would you agree that it would, if Tyrese remains healthy, that coaches will vote him as, an, as a reserve in the Eastern Conference? I think so. I think he's very, very, very widely respected. Um, and especially in that there are, there were people who doubted that he'd be this good and people who doubted that he was worth, I mean, not, not necessarily worth the trade. I think, you know, everyone killed the Kings primarily when that deal went down. I think the, the revisionist history kind of has that deal, I think, fairly graded as an even swap. And that's what trade should be, right? Situations that make both sides better. And, um, DeMontis Sabonis has really flourished in Sacramento alongside De'Aaron Fox and has brought exactly what the Kings needed. Um, Halliburton, a lot of people were skeptical if he was worthy of the kind of franchise mantle that the Pacers seemed to have put him on, and he clearly has answered those questions. So, um, yeah, I, I haven't spoken to a coach who isn't impressed by him. People will still shake their head and kind of chuckle at the shooting mechanics, but the numbers don't lie, man. That thing goes in, goes in off the dribble, goes in off the <laughs> Jake, you know who else had you, you know who else had awful shooting mechanics necessarily and played in Indiana? Reggie Miller. Reggie. So that worked out quite well for him. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a match made in heaven. He loves being there. Um and it's exciting what they're building, man. I I think they're uh I think they're in a pretty fascinating spot from where they were in May twenty twenty one when uh a first year head coach was not exactly uh, thriving, and they had DeMontis Sabonis and Victor Oladipo around. And I, I forget where Oladipo actually was in that whole timeline, but the, the, the tide has turned, and the paces are on the rise, and we'll see just how much they look to add here um, ahead of February 9th. Where, where can people follow your work? Obviously, yeah. uh, you're the Fieldhouse Files on Substack, but give us, give us some more plugs, give us some more things to look out for and, and things to follow. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's fieldhousefiles.com. Um, the Fieldhouse Files podcast, I had former Pacer Eddie Gill on uh, to talk about, you know, what this might be like from a player's perspective, having an ego-free locker room and a trust. Guys trusting each other is something that's come up a ton right now. But um, yesterday I posted a story with an NBA scout about the Pacers at the midseason check-in um, and have several other good things uh, up the pike here on Fieldhouse Files. So I appreciate it, Jake. Always good to talk with you, man. You too, man. Keep doing your thing. Uh, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow uh, with Krista Crick, an old friend from Bet MGM Radio. And I think I'll have another article dropped on Yahoo tomorrow as well. Uh, stay tuned, everybody. Take care. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the basketball. See you, Scott.